right. We are, we, are, we are closing out our series. In fact, we just have two more messages today and next week. And we're gonna finish up Faithful Presence. And let me just put one more plug in for this incredible book. If you've not bought Faithful Presence, and I understand, man, seasons get crazy. And Christy and I were talking just this morning. She's like, babe, listen, I've, I've been going to school. It's been taking every spare second of my time just to read perspectives. And I get that. But listen, faithful presence is something that is going to mark who we are as a people. This message, this revelation, this biblical command, this insight, this understanding that God is at work in all of the world and we are participating with how God is at work and we are making his presence known to each other and to the people that are around us. Man, we're not going to just let that go because the series is over. Now it's time to live that out. And so... Um, Pick up the book and read it. Read it this summer. Make it a summer goal. It'll change your life. It'll help you get into greater alignment and agreement with what God's doing here. But after these two weeks, the series is over, and then we enter the first Sunday of June is Pentecost. It's Pentecost. Now, I have noticed something that's very interesting, and probably many people would not have caught this, but out of particularly the seven years that Christy and I have led in the senior capacity, I've noticed something. I'm not sure if it was happening beforehand because I wasn't paying attention as much, but it's amazing how you start paying attention on the senior level leader or the senior leader level, and every year on Pentecost, something funky happens. It's, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, something funky happens. It's like people are in a fog, people come to service in the days, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the day that we recognize, this is the day that we celebrate when the church was baptized and birthed in the fires and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, the service comes and people are like, they're out to lunch. So this year, 2017, we're going to break that cycle. We're going to break that cycle. We're going to break the curse. All right. We're going to come Pentecost Sunday. We're going we're gonna to be fire-breathing, Holy Ghost-talking, crazy, charismatic, Pentecostal church people. <laughs> I needed an amen on that one. Amen. amen. Awesome. All right. Well, let me get into this because we got some good things to dive into in the Word. And then we're going to have Jeffrey and Christine and Joshua Moore share with us for a few minutes at the end of my message. We're going to come to the table. We're going to be commissioned out of here to go and be the people of God into every arena and every part of the world that God has called us to in this city. And it's exciting. Uh, so I'm, I'm ready to dive in. I want us to pray the prayer of the Lord together as a church this morning. Typically, we do that at the beginning of our service, but I, I would like for us to uh, experiment with praying the Lord's Prayer right before we go into the message, and so that this doesn't become this religious routine that we do, let us just remember all of the things that were preached over nine months of preaching on the Lord's Prayer last year. In fact, every time we get together as a church and we pray the Lord's Prayer Typically what happens is the Holy Spirit will highlight some component of that prayer. Even as we're praying it together, we're not reciting it. We are praying the prayer of the Lord together and the Lord will highlight something. 
he may highlight to me, forgive us our sins. And I'll just, and the Lord will just go, uh, he'll just breathe on that. And I, and from that, I will say, Lord, there's some sin in my heart, in my mind, in my life. And I just ask that you would forgive me. Sometimes when we get together and we pray, Lord, that, uh, as we forgive those who sin against us, <laughs> he's, he just points something out right there as we get together as the church and pray the prayer of the Lord. And I go, Lord, I know I need to forgive so-and-so and I'll either do it right there or I'll do it more later. And so as we pray this, let us remember that there's power in this. It has the power to pull us together, to get us into alignment to get us into a spirit of unity. And it is the most perfect prayer to pray. And if you don't ever know what to pray when you're going through a dry spell in your time with the Lord, pray the Lord's prayer slowly. Pray it slowly. Let it just marinate. Let it just, let it just get inside of you and let the Holy Spirit breathe on some component or some aspect of that. Can I get a hearty amen on that? All right, let's pray the prayer of the Lord together. And before we do, let's settle our hearts. Let's decide that we're not gonna let this be a religious deal. And let's decide that we're gonna pray with our spirit and our mind and our body fully engaged. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we bless you today. God, thank you that you are at work. Lord, that as a people that you have something for all of us today and as individuals, you have something for each of us today. God, this message that we're gonna be preaching on and speaking on today is, is something that we don't hear much about. And I'm asking today that by the, the power of your spirit, that your spirit would speak to every single one of us, give us open hearts, open ears, open minds, and God, help us to absorb, help us to receive this message on the discipline of being with children. And Father, from this revelation, we pray that we would enter into our world in the full circle, in the dotted circle, in the half circle, and we would be missional people revealing the gospel and the goodness of God as we minister to children by being present with children. We pray these things today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Caitlin and I, I'm going off the grid. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 28 and 29 as we begin today's message. This message is is again, it's, it's, it's wrapping up a series, but it's the sixth of seven disciplines or habits or practices that this author has shared with the world that come straight from the scriptures on habits that the church can participate with that help us to not only experience the presence of God, but also to then reveal the presence of God to the world. And today we're gonna to talk about being with children. 
Now, today while we were praying, a lot of our prayers in our pre-service ministry crew time, a lot of our prayers were centered around parents, and that's, that's good because parents are with children a lot, sometimes a little too much. <laughs> that's when the husbands need to say, hey, go grab some coffee. I'm going to stay home with the kids. You go, get out of here, breathe. But the discipline of being with children is not limited to parents biologically, you guys. The discipline of being with children is something that Jesus revealed to his disciples. So if you're a follower of Christ, if you're someone who follows in the way of Jesus, if you're someone who says, I identify with who Christ is, I belong to his family, I'm serving his kingdom, This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, well, part of what it means to be a follower of me is to then be present with children. And we're gonna get into why that's so important. But before we do, I want us to look at Romans 8. Verse 28 says, and we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Look at 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son. So one of the reasons, one of the many, many reasons that you and I are followers of Jesus, purchased by the redemptive power of his blood, constituted by his spirit into the church in the world is so that you and I individually, every one of us individually, and all of us together as a people would become more and 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 more like Jesus. So much so that this time next year, people should look at us and say, Antioch looks a little bit more like Jesus than they did last year. And in the year after that, they say, Antioch looks a little bit more like Jesus than they did last year. And we've got our deficiencies and we've got our insufficiencies and we've got areas where we're, we're, we're not quite like Jesus yet. But if we stay grounded and rooted and connected and committed and submitted and faithful, this time next year, guess what's gonna happen? We're gonna look more like Jesus. And that's the same thing individually. Let that be a word of encouragement to you. Now, how does that happen? It happens a number of different ways But one of the things that I wanna propose to you guys today is that one of the ways this happens is by the disciplines of faithful presence. That through the discipline of the table, as we come to revelation of what the table is and we allow what the table is about to shape us, God works through sacramentally and spiritually, he works through what he has instituted in the table of the Lord to help shape us to become more like Jesus. The discipline of reconciliation. Now, let me just say this. Let me just pass. Can I, can, do, I, do I have permission to pastor you today? All right, for those of you who you said yes, I'm going to pastor you. Those of you who said no, it's okay. You can stay stagnant. <laughs> the discipline of reconciliation. This is what I am coming to understand, you guys. I'm going to have to come down here like Mr. Rogers and get all up in your neighborhood. This is what I'm coming to understand. That God will actually, like, like a, anybody play chess? Any chess players? Checkers, Stratego, Risk, Catan, Connect Four? God, help me here. Anything that involves some level of strategy? God is like a master strategist. 
strategy. <laughs> he is a master strategist. And here's what I'm discovering, painfully, that God will engineer things in your life. He will engineer things in your life, situations, circumstances. You think that they were all haphazard. They're not haphazard. God has engineered them like a master strategist. Okay? And what he's doing is he's engineering things where you will, you will have your heart connected just enough to a people or a person or a group where there's buy-in so that he can apply pressure. And when he applies that pressure, things come out of you that would not have come out of you otherwise. Things like whenever you get confronted, you usually buck and rebel. You know that? You know what I'm talking about, Lauren? She's like, why are you calling me out? I don't know, I just, I'm, you're doing it right now. Or, or whenever you get scared, you pull away and run. Or whenever you get offended, you clam up and you don't work things out. What is all that? That is God engineering life and he's engineering situations in order to help you make you more like Jesus. Are you with me today? All right, so when those opportunities arise, look at them squarely and honestly through the lens of the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you through the people around you that you've allowed to get close to you in holy covenant love, allow the Holy Spirit to show you areas of your life that don't look like him. And one of the ways that we do that is by saying, I am gonna participate in the discipline of reconciliation. It doesn't matter what I feel like. None of us, none, if you do, it's a little weird, a little twisted, but none of us love to be confrontive. None of us love the discipline of reconciliation. It is, it is, it is, it's hard. It's hard. It requires humility. It requires dying to ourselves. It requires risk and courage and saying difficult things and hearing difficult things and confronting ourselves. Well, what do we do? We say, Lord, you said that you are present when I choose to reconcile. And sometimes the discipline of reconciliation doesn't get the whole job done in just one sit down. Are you hearing me? It requires multiple times where you sit down and you allow God to shape you. All right, I gotta move on. This isn't the message on reconciliation. All right, so the, what's the point here? All of these disciplines that God has that we've talked about, proclaiming the gospel shapes us into the image of Jesus. Being with the least of these shapes us into the image of Jesus. Practicing uh, the submission of leadership shapes us into the image of Jesus. So today, we're gonna talk about being with children and how being present with children, not just our biological children, shapes us into the image of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but it's a little warm in here. So uh, can I get a little help? Can I get a little help? I get a little help in here. Okay, here we go. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 18. And we're gonna look at verses one through five. Matthew 18, one through five. If you don't have your Bibles, feel free to read along with us. But we're a church that believes in bringing our Bibles and looking at our Bibles. We don't wanna just reference scriptures. We want you to look at the scriptures with us because this is discipleship. 
At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We're gonna get into that question more in a few minutes. So Jesus called a little child to him and he placed the child among them, child. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change, unless you change, somebody say, unless I change. Now there's a message right there. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. All right, so how does being with children form us into the image of Jesus? I gotta move. Number one, children help us see the image of God in humanity. It's called the Imago Dei. Children help us see the image of God. And why is that important? It's important for a lot of reasons. It's important, number one, because when we see the image of God in humanity, we realize that humanity has value not just because of what they do. All of you who have biological children, all of you who have worked with children, all of you who are educators, all of you who are in the medical community, who work with children, you know that especially from a Christian worldview, children have value. They're not producing any money. They're not contributing to the economy. For those of you who are biological parents, you understand that for a good season of time, all they do is take, all they do is consume, all they do is cry and ask you the same thing a thousand times and poop. So much poop. What's your job description? I cry and I sleep and I eat, and I poop. That's my job description. That's not bad, I'm a little jealous sometimes. But being with children help us see, even with all of that, you have incredible value. You're cherished, you're affirmed, you're adored. You have parents that will fight for you. Why is that? You're not, you're not performing. You're not contributing because you have inherent value because you are the Imago Dei. You are a picture of who God is in the earth. The psalmist says it like this in Psalm 139. Let's look at verse 13. Psalm 139, 13 through 18. For you created my inmost being, and you, this is speaking of God, God, you knit me together. You knit me together while I was in my mother's womb. Now again, separate, keep that up there, Caitlin, if you would. Separate this biologically. Every child that you see, every baby, every toddler, every pre-K, every middle, middle school student who hasn't discovered deodorant yet, every one of these children we're knit together by God. That's important for us to understand. 
There is a reason why when the early church was established post-resurrection, post-ascension, guys, listen, living under the oppression of Rome, living under the brutality of Rome, as slaves in the Roman Empire, the church was taking care of the Roman Empire's children, those that were discarded. You ever heard of infanticide? You ever heard of, of, of babies being left on, in garbage dumps? You know who primarily, globally, and historically are the ones who take care of those kids? It's the church. It's the people of God. Where does that come from? That comes from the revelation that children are made in the image of God. It comes from the revelation that even though children are, aren't doing and performing anything, they have inherent value because they belong to God. They're created by God. They were knit together in some person's womb by the hands of God. That's important. That shapes us. And the next time you're with a child, I, I, I want you to do this. I want you to sit back and I want you just to pause. And I want you to behold them. I don't think as adults we behold the children enough. I think we get irritated a lot. I think we get annoyed. I think we get agitated. I think we tolerate them. I think sometimes we think they're a nuisance, especially if they're not our own. But how many times do we just sit and behold them and stand in awe that this is a creature created by the hands of God himself, made in the image of God? Number two, children teach us sonship. Children will teach you sonship if you have a heart to understand. And they don't have to be your own kids. Now, it, it helps. I, I mean, I, I, I hit a, an explosive season of growth as soon as Milan entered into my life. Because part of learning sonship is seeing yourself and seeing how insufficient and inadequate and selfish and ugly and angry. Girls, what are you listening to over there? <laughs> I got my nieces over here playing with their phones. But I love you because we're speaking on the discipline of children today. See, they're, they're revealing my sonship right now. You know, when Milan was young, she had this, uh, she had this gag reflex that was awful. It was just awful. And um, we, would get, we would get in the car when she was 18 months or two years old. I think this even went all the way up to three years old. And we would get in the car for a family trip. And man, we, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd get 10 minutes down the road and she would just let it loose all over the seat. And you know, if you've never cleaned vomit out of a car seat, that stuff just gets all up in there. Yeah, it does. Yeah, gross. All the time, she would see something. She would look over at the table and see something and she'd just lose it. It was constant, it was chronic. And I remember one night, she woke up in the middle of the night crying and I raced up to her room. She was in the crib and she had just vomited all over herself, all over his sliding down her face, all of her clothes. And I went, I went to, uh, to reach out to her. This is one of the greatest sonship lessons I've ever learned. One of the greatest Father Heart of God moments I've ever experienced in my life. 
And somehow at two years old or at 18 months old, however old she was at the time, somehow she knew that she was soiled. She knew it. I don't even know how she was cognizant of that fact, but she knew that she was not presentable. And so she cowered away from me. Like, don't touch me. I know that, I know I'm dirty. She's crying, she's screaming, and she has this all over her. And in that moment, I just, by compelled by the love of the Father, and I just felt like the Lord was showing me, this is son, this is you. This is you. And this is what I do to you. He says, I want you to pick her up. He says, and hold her as close to you as possible. And without thinking, I grabbed her and I held her right here. Just a barf sandwich. Just a, just a vomit Oreo. And man, I just held her there and then she stopped crying. And man, I tell you, the father in that moment said, son, this is what I do. When you try to pull away from me, because you're not clean, when you try to pull away from me because you messed up or you made a mistake or you sinned intentionally, unintentionally, you blew it. He said, son, I don't let you just sit there and wallow in your mess. I pick you up and I hold you and I pull you close and I let your stuff get on me because I love you. Children will teach you sonship. If you'll pay attention because children will show you what is inside of you. And they are a gateway to the heart of the Father. Number three, children help us to dethrone our unhealthy ambition. There is a healthy ambition that is in all of us because we're made in the image of God. There... <laughs> God is dethroning my unhealthy ambition, right? And my pride right now. It's like every point. <laughs> children, children. I thought we released the children. <laughs> children help us to dethrone our unhealthy ambition and pride. All of our podcast listeners, I'm so sorry. You just have to be here to see what's going on. You know, it's interesting when Jesus pulls this child, he, he pulls this child into the middle of the disciples and, and look at the context again in, in Matthew 18. Look at verse one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So what's the context here? What's the context in which and through which Jesus reveals the discipline of being with children? It's the context of these guys vying for spiritual position and actually physical position. Who's gonna be the greatest? And so Jesus cuts right to the heart of that by pulling a child, a helpless, innocent, defenseless child, not yet tainted by the lust for power, not yet driven by an unhealthy need for success, not yet wrapping their identity into how they perform or what it is that they accomplish in life. So God pulls this child, Jesus pulls this child who's not yet driven by that and says, look right here. This child could care less. And in their innate, innate, inherent value and dignity and worth, and beyond that, their simplicity of trust 
There's simplicity of trust. In the economy of the kingdom, guys, you have to get this. Don't don't miss this. In the economy of the kingdom, God doesn't measure things by functionality. Let me break this down for you. Because we've, we, in the church, we've propagated this and we've, we've, we've carried this out into the kingdom and we've basically said, the more functional you are, the more valuable you are. And that's not the way that God operates. And God cuts, he slits the jugular of that by bringing a child into the midst and saying, this child trusts me. This child is humble. This child is kind. This child is gracious. This child is delighting in my presence and everything else. Allow your function to flow from that place. That's what sonship is. We allow our function. We allow our performance. We allow everything that we do to flow out of the place of like a child being content in the presence of Jesus. He's cutting right to that religious spirit. Number four, being with children connects us to the church. It connects us to the church. You feel disconnected from the church? Go serve the children. I promise you, I promise you, you're gonna you're going, you're, you're going meet people. You're gonna know what people are about. And there's not many people I love more than people who love my kids. You can't love me and not love my kids. That's, that's whack. That's whack, right? That's whacked out. I can't sit there and want to be your boy and then be bad-mouthing your kids. And I can't, we can't, that can't happen. Children connect you to the church. This is why every baby dedication, and I wrestle back and forth with this, and I go, should we do this? Should, should, we, should we take an entire service or a, a big part of our service? And should we, should we you know, dedicate our children and dedicate our babies in the service? You know, how many people are sitting out there going, I could care less, give me a good word. Where's the worship at? No, this is important because this is vital to being a part of a family. Because when I pray for the Westby's children, I am connecting my heart to the Westby's. And when I pray for the Peterson's children, and when I bless and I think about the meaning of their names, and I get into what God is speaking and saying, and when I hook into the destiny of these children, I get beyond myself. Church then doesn't become about me and what word I can get. I'm grafted into a family. And you know, sometimes at the family table, you're, you're gonna be the center of attention. And sometimes at the family table, you're gonna sit back and you're gonna listen. It's part of being at the family table. And it's caring about the family. And it's, it's belonging to the family. Children connect you. They connect you to the church. And they connect you to the kingdom. Let me show you a very, very, one of, one of the most uh, disturbing Passages of scripture, Judges chapter two. Judges chapter two, turn with me there with me if you would. And, and, if, and if you don't have your Bible with you, write this down in your notes. Judges two, nine through 15. Here's the context here, just so you guys are all clear on what's going on. I mean, God has been showing off. 
Seriously, he's been showing off. He's defeated the powers of Egypt. He has delivered his people from 400 years of oppression and slavery. He has taken them through the desert. He has shown off. He has provided for them miraculously, making water come out of rocks, making, making meat come out of the sky. He's just showing off. He is doing incredible things to reveal who he is as God to these people. And then all of a sudden he brings these people who have not, they've been displaced, they've not had a home, they have been foreigners, they've been aliens in other people's countries, they've been refugees, and then God brings them into their own promised land. This is incredible. And he says, guys, listen, all this land is yours and it is bountiful land flowing with milk and honey. And this is what he tells them. When you guys get into the new land, and I have this verse down, but we, if you want to write this down, Deuteronomy chapter six, read the entire chapter. But in Deuteronomy chapter six, here's what God says. He says, teach your children and your children's children in the ways of God. This is what he says. Sit down with them, have dinner with them, walk the road with them, and everything that you're doing in your presence with children, you're discipling them. You're bringing my presence to them, and you're encountering my presence in them, and you're shaping them. This is what apostolic ministry is. Do you know what the word apostolic Beyond just the, the nuance of apostolic, it means to be sent, but the idea of the church being an apostolic people means that the church is always in the middle. Let me explain this. It means that everything that we have is something that we've received from previous generations. Listen to me. Everything that you have in your spiritual life is something that some other father or some other mother has purchased has paid a price for, has sacrificed, has laid their lives down for. And what they did was they protected that revelation and they protected the scriptures and they protected the anointing and they protected the gifts and they, and, and they did all of this at a high price and they passed it on and nurtured it into the next generation. And we stand in the middle, in the middle, from generation to generation and our responsibility is to now protect and steward and nurture and develop and then pass it on. That's it. That's it. And at the end of the day, we may never get noticed for that, and that's okay because we have fulfilled our apostolic responsibility to take that which has been purchased and revealed in God and hold on to it and not lose it and not lose ground and pass it on to the next generation. So this is where we're at here in Judges chapter two. Because now the children of Israel are in their promised land and they've gone a couple of generations. And watch me now, Judges chapter two, verse nine. And they buried Joshua in the land of his inheritance at timnath Hares in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Gash? I can't read that. Gash. <laughs> verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Which generation is he talking about? Guys, guys, guys. This is the generation that with their, with their, this is the generation that was preserved in the wilderness. This is the generation that saw with their naked eye the power of God demonstrated or they heard firsthand the stories of God's miraculous power. 
And now watch, just just two generations, two generations post-Exodus, guys, two generations post uh, the prince of Egypt. This is where we're at. This is Milan's children. This is, this is context here. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done in Israel. If Milan and Kenya's children grow up and they don't know the Lord or what he has done in the Duncan family, I will come back from the dead. <laughs> and I will whoop them. <laughs> Guys, let the, think about this. Think about the mighty demonstration of God and their grandchildren knows nothing about it. That's crazy. What is that? They abandoned the discipline of being with children. They abandoned the commands. They got too busy. Children weren't producing enough. They weren't valuable enough. They didn't see the Imago Dei in children. They didn't see that in being with children, God is present. They didn't understand the formative nature of what it means to be present with children. And now we've got an entire generation that grows up. And if you read the book of Judges, what you will see is that they experienced atrocious, horrific sin. Why? Because one generation dropped the baton. One one, one generation. One generation said, we're not gonna go serve our children. One generation said, I'm not called a children's ministry. One generation said, it's not my spiritual gift to change diapers. One generation, one. I'm telling you guys. I preached a message one time that says prayer don't change diapers. Hey, listen, at the end of the day, I, I, I appreciate your spirituality. I appreciate you can prophesy. I pray. But at the end of the day, that don't take out the trash, that don't paint walls, that don't change diapers, and that don't do what needs to get done in the real world. Moving right along. <laughs> hey, let me read to you something that day. Let, let me see if I got through and we all know this, no, no message is exhaustive. But let's look right here. Let me just, let me just drill this down. 18, Matthew 18, verse five. Let's, let's, let's grab a hold of this. If you didn't get the last four points, get this one. But the last point was really good too, so you might wanna really get that. <laughs> Matthew 18, verse five. This is what Jesus says. He says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Friends, we ought to memorize that. We gotta get that in our bones. Seriously, we gotta get that in our DNA. And for all the wonderful, wonderful things that Antioch has been, known about, has been known for, what if we were known? What if we were known as the people that welcomed children? What if we were known as the people that loved and blessed the children of this house and the children of our city, the children of our community, the children who have no parents, the children who have one parent, the children who have two parents of the same orientation, what if we were known as the church that loved the children of this city? What if we were known as the children that fought for the illiterate child? What if we were known as the children or, or as a church that fought for the children uh, from other countries, that loved and embraced the child who has a disability? What if we were known as that people? Because what I find, what I find in the scriptures is those are the things that are close to God's heart. 
Whoever welcomes one such child in my name. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 25? We're not gonna go there. Keep this verse on here if you would, Caitlin. And in Matthew chapter 25, we talked about this. Bobby brought this verse up. When we talked about the discipline of being with the least of these. You guys remember that? When Jesus said, hey, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you came and you comforted me. When I was hungry, you fed me. Do you guys remember that story? And then these people say, what are you talking about, Jesus? I never saw you in prison. He says, listen, 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 listen. When you went to the prisoner and you were present and you were attentive and you tended to my presence when you were there and you didn't look down on that person and you didn't belittle them and you didn't demean them, you valued them as the imago day in the earth, I was there. You were doing that to me. This is the exact same thing that Jesus is saying. You know, the word welcome there is a really powerful word. It means this. It means it is is used for the way that strangers received missionaries. Remember when Jesus sent the, the 12 out and he sent them out on a missionary journey and he says, those who receive you go into their home and bless it. Those that don't shake the dust off of your feet. That word welcome means to welcome like strangers would welcome missionaries into their home. It also means, Paul used this, it's the patience It means patience. It's the posture of receiving generosity and love. It means patience. It means embrace. It means openness. It means genuineness. When you receive a child into your presence, you also receive the presence of Jesus. There is a space that is opened up where God can work. The word welcome denotes a loving reception with the view for further care. It's a powerful word, you guys. Now, I don't know about you, but I know me. I know me, and I know that I've got a certain tank of grace for my kids. And it's just slightly bigger than my tank of grace for other people's kids. And if you've ever heard the phrase, man, I've got grace for my kids, but I do not have grace for their kids. We need to grow. We need to grow. And I know, I know, I see me, I see me. I see when I ignore my, my, my kids' friends. I see that. I see when I'm sarcastic with little kids. I see that in me. I see when they become a nuisance. I see that in me. I see that when I'm just tolerating them and not tending to them. Guys, this message was a killer on me. Because with my kids, I do great, but with children, I'm awful. I'm serious. I want to grow. And here's what I'm saying. God, shape this, change this, break this, rearrange this in me. Rearrange in me to see little kids who can't do anything for me. Say, Jesus, this is you that I am ministering to. And in so doing, you know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? We're going to become tender. We're going to become kind. We're going to become patient. We're gonna become gracious. You know, all those times you pray for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's not gonna come by you just quoting scriptures and praying for it. He has given us how to do this. Be with people that are flat out annoying. Be with them. Be with them. And you know what's gonna happen? Over time, over time, as you lean into my grace and as you see how utterly selfish you are. Let that drive you into my grace. And over time, I will change that. 
You know, hey, listen, you know why it is that you tune people out? People are talking to you. Mommy, 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 daddy, daddy, I said, uh, yeah, it, it happens. You know why that is? Because we don't know how to tend to children. You know why it is why your coworkers feel like you don't care anything about them, then you want to minister the gospel to them and they're like, you need to get lost? Because you don't know how to tend to children. You know what, y'all are lucky. It's three minutes till, I got to shut that down. Because I just started, I started picking up a little momentum right there. I could, I could milk that thing. <laughs> hey, let me, let me read something from David Fitch. And I'm going to have the Moors come up, share for a couple minutes. We're going to go to the table. And then at the end of the service, this is, oh, this is perfect. Because these jokers, they're going to be living in this. Because their family is going from three to seven. In one moment. Love it. Listen to what David Fitch says. He says, when we first planted our church, we asked everyone in the church to participate in the ministry with children. I got one woo on that. Every person who's involved in children's ministry should have erupted there. I'm going to teach y'all a phrase. This is a real simple phrase. It's, you know that's right. That's what you just need to stand up and say, you know that's right. That's what y'all should have done. Jesse, show me, show me. That's right. See, just like that. I needed Brenda Jones in this service today. There were regular teachers rotating in and out, but everyone, everyone was asked to participate. All adults were asked to be in the children's ministry a minimum of once every two months not just biological parents. They were asked to be present with our children. We gotta change our mindsets, guys. Because here's how we view children's ministry. I know. We view children's ministry as, I'm tolerating this. We view children's ministry as, they just need somebody. The church is always needing more help. No, this is not what David Fitch was putting in his people. He was saying, you need to understand that you're gonna encounter God in a way that you could not encounter God out there when you are present with children. If you will allow yourselves to participate in that manner, I promise you. Here's what, yeah, you know that's right. And here's what we're missing. Here's where, why are there seven disciplines? Because each of these disciplines reveals a different part of God. If you think that you can get all of God by just sitting and singing songs, you're missing it. You're not, we're not well-rounded. You're narrow. You're singular. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not well-balanced. They were asked to be present with our children, to know them, to pay attention to them to open their hearts to them and to be changed by them. This resulted in a community. Now listen, a community, a family, a people, a church where our children could grow up recognizing Jesus, not as a historical figure or not just as a tenet in doctrine, but Jesus as someone present in our daily lives. I want you to think about this. What if your greatest ministry on the earth is sitting with children on the third floor of a Christian school, children whose parents don't pay attention to them and throw them in front of an iPad or a television, and you're there, and all you're doing is looking them in the eye and shaking your head and showing them some attention. What if that's your greatest ministry? Thank you. 
We recognized in this screen crazy society that the space for his presence would never be more available with our children than during these early years. We need to saturate our young children with attention. Because if we don't, I promise you, there is a world and there is a Satan that is all the more eager to give them attention. Y'all want to know why y'all teenage daughters are all, you know, going with these young boys? I'll tell you why. Because you don't pay attention to them. That's why. You don't pay attention. And then you got some thug paying attention. Gotcha. I got your heart. I got your heart. I got your heart because I'm paying attention when you speak. We got to change it. Jonathan, come on up here, man. One time, a member of our church community who contributed in so many ways to the life of the church approached me and he said that he wished to be excused from children's ministry. We had asked everyone in the church, beginning with the leaders, to take seriously the duty to be present with our children. Now, there's a distinction. He's not talking about the teachers. He's not talking about the volunteers. He's just talking about having adults present. We've got children, we've got teachers, we've got administrators, but I want adults in the room. The more I read this, the more I think there's something to this. So if you ain't bought into the church yet, y'all gonna, you should leave because I'm gonna ask you to be with our children. I'm telling you. Doug said to me that working with children is not my gift. This was not an uncommon response in our church when people were asked to serve and be present with our children. People could not grasp the sacramental reality. What does that mean? What does sacramental reality mean? It means in very natural, physical things, God is present and he is spiritually at work. Sacramental reality means that physical things like bread and juice, God chooses to use them and infuse them with spiritual mystery and life. So in the physical reality of being present with children, he says, that's a sacrament and I'm gonna come and I'm gonna reveal myself. Almost done, guys. I said to Doug, being with children in our teaching ministry is not a spiritual gift. Being with children is not a spiritual gift. Instead, the church brings all of its gifts to the space of ministry with children. And all who can lower themselves to be present with a child will experience Jesus and his kingdom like nowhere else. Several years later, Doug looked back at his experience at our church at Life on the Vine, and he said that he experienced the renewal in his life with Christ first and foremost in his blossoming relationship with children.